God bless you. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Hallelujah. I think uh, it's quite evident when you look at the news that murder and lawlessness and violence are sweeping the earth. It's not just our nation. It's the entire world. Literally hundreds of thousands of people are being murdered and slaughtered year after year. And God sees all that. And I'm reminded of what Jesus said in Matthew 24, 37. Jesus said that as the days of Noah were, so shall also coming be the coming of the Son of Man be. And in Genesis 6, 11, when we look back at how Moses records it, uh, he says that the earth also was corrupt before God. Corrupt, and the earth was filled with violence. And God said unto Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Jesus said, as it was back then, it will be the same way when I come back. You know, that word corrupt, the earth was also corrupt. The word corrupt and corruption, it means uh, gaining, it is, it is being dishonest, being dishonest for, for gaining power or money or both. And when I think about a political realm today, there's a lot of corruption. In fact, I'm reminded of uh, uh, a one-time uh, comedian and social commentator, uh, Will Rogers, back in the 30s, great entertainer, and, and he commented on a lot of the things that were going on back then, politics as usual. And he says, you know, I don't understand why people are complaining about our leaders, our lawmakers, and our politicians. We've got the best politicians money can buy. It's true today, and their price has gone up. But the problem is that in the midst of all this corruption and violence and lawlessness and murder, the dignity of man has been lost. The value of human life is almost worthless in many societies. And as a result, people have been desensitized. They've been hardened uh, to lawlessness and violence and killing. The front pages of our newspapers, obviously, uh, and that of television and radio uh, are usually filled with terrible crimes. Uh, and not only our news, but also the entertainment industry. When you couple that with TV and, and movies and video games and music and books and magazines, they all focus on lawlessness and violence and killing and murder, as well as immorality. And all this, imagine, day after day, year after year, a person is bombarded with that. All of us, are, we don't even realize how much it impacts us day in and day out. Uh, so the point is, and all that, the life is pictured by all of this as cheap by both the media and the entertainment industry of society. As a result, every day a person's life is bombarded with by this act after the act of lawlessness and killing. And again, I'm reminded of the days of Noah, Genesis 6, 5. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The imagination of the thoughts of his heart. And that's quite evident what they're imagining when you're looking at the entertainment industry. No wonder we have been desensitized. No wonder people have been hardened and violence uh, to violence and murder. And no wonder life has become so cheap and it means so little to so many people. And no wonder that so many have become lawless themselves and have taken on this lifestyle of violence. And no wonder many assault and kill. I can point to so many recent events and incidents that took place that just grieves my heart. And it grieves me, if it grieves me so, I wonder how God feels. Hallelujah. Sad. Uh, and I haven't even mentioned the subject of abortion. Well, I know we had some kind of a, a, a landmark case in overturning Roe versus Wade. And it only simply means that, that the whole issue of abortion goes back to the individual 50 states. And the lawmakers in each state will have the right, as it should under the Constitution, to determine what the laws are, not the federal government. But yet, abortion will continue to plague our society. Uh, and, and it is, again... 
uh, a murder that is the shedding of blood of an innocent child. And the Bible declares this to be an abomination. When you look at Proverbs 6, 17, God, the seven things that God hates, and one of them, he says, hands that shed innocent blood. Innocent blood. That child in the womb is innocent. And you don't think God sees it? You don't think God will hold our country and our land accountable? Yes, he will. And we'll see in just a little bit in the reading. But God gave this commandment to govern civilization and the societies of every generation of man. And it's so profound and it's so, uh, so beautiful. Again, the more and more I look at it and read it and study it. But we have to ask ourselves, what is the purpose of this commandment? And, and why did God give this? And we see that the purpose of this commandment was to preserve life. It's to protect it. It's to, to, to enshrine it. Uh, to be that glorious uh, thing that it really is. And, and the purpose of this command was to teach people the sanctity of human life and that they honor and hold human life in the highest esteem possible. And this is why, you see, things like, like, like abortion make such a difference because once that, that issue was decided 50 years ago that it was okay to, to kill an unborn child, then it went to euthanasia, mercy killing. And now it's to the point where, where many, well, at least several states, I won't say many, several states have on their laws, they want to pass a law that it would be all right to kill a baby even if it came out of the womb after 28 days or so. Maybe it was 20, I don't know. But it was after they came out of the womb for a number of days. Now, where are you going to draw the line? If you can kill a child then, then what keeps them from passing a law that they can start killing off people for whatever reason they want to if they do not hold? If our society and our culture does not hold life in the highest esteem. And so it's crucial. And, and so God, in his commandment, thou shalt not kill, is trying to enshrine this importance, this value of, of the dignity and the importance of human life that is uh, separate and special above all other life. Amen. And I think uh, I'm not, this is not my subject, but, uh, you know, it, it, it is only human beings uh, that, that have this, this cognitive reasoning ability that animals do not. We're the only ones that have a sense of morality and, and, and awareness of self in a way that no other creature that God created ever has. We're special. And we're the only ones really that walk upright on two feet. Mm. Hallelujah. Always. Amen. And so we can go deeper in, uh, into that, but I'm not going to. But again, God gave this commandment to govern civilization and the, civiliz and the societies of, of every generation of man to come. And so we're, we're talking about the purpose of the commandments. Uh, it's to teach, again, the, the sanctity of human life, that we are to honor it and hold human life in the higher esteem, highest esteem. And God created man in, in, in his own image. Man was created image and the likeness of God, and therefore man's life is of infinite value to God. We read that in Genesis 1, 26 through 27, that in his image and in his likeness, man was created. And therefore, God demands that human life be valued above all the wealth of the world. And this is what Jesus said when, uh, and what he meant when he said in Mark 8, 36, for what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? See, see, he says, the whole world and its value in it, gold, silver, platinum, diamonds, everything, everything put together cannot outweigh the value of one human individual. And that's infinite in value. See, that's God's perspective. And when we, we, we digress from God's perspective and begin to look to our own wisdom and our own uh, our smarts and our, our, our own reasoning, we end up very quickly in darkness that we never anticipated or thought would come. And so, 
Again, God demands that human life be valued above all the wealth of the earth. And so we have to look and ask, what is forbidden in this command? And yes, it says, thou shalt not kill. But really, the, the, the Hebrew word for that is not just kill. It's thou shalt not murder. And that's very important. Thou shalt not murder. The Hebrew word for that is rasah, which means premeditated, planned, deliberate, intentional, unauthorized, unlawful murder, unlawful killing. You had no justification. That's what this word kill or rasah, murder, means. Premeditated. You thought about it ahead of time. It just didn't happen, you know, by accident. And we get to that in a moment. Uh, it, it was planned. It was deliberate. You intended to do it. You could have stopped yourself, but you didn't. And you had no legal right to do it. It wasn't a matter of exercising capital punishment. It wasn't a matter of defending yourself because you were attacked or because somebody broke into your house and they had a weapon and they threatened your life. It was simply a planned murderous attack. And that's how this commandment is broken. A planned murderous attack upon a person or persons or by a rash, reckless attack. I've seen so many of those on, on social media. Uh, and it's so sad that it's been reported. Somebody come behind and hitting a poor, unsuspecting person with a baseball bat over the head. Bam. Put him in a coma. And uh, I, I, I never found out what happened to that person afterwards. Or in the, on the streets of New York City, uh, a young woman, a mother in her 20s with a three-month-old child pushing the baby carriage down the street. And, I got, uh, and a man comes up behind her and shoots her in the head. Bam. And leaves a three-month-old baby there. I mean, I can go on and on and on. And again, I'm, I'm not looking for these things. These are the things that I stumble across or the things that cross the pages of, of, of my news. And you look at this and, 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 and you realize that's murder. That's what God's talking about. Thou shalt not kill. None of this rash, brute, uh, deliberate, reckless attack. Nothing that's premeditated. And so this commandment, when you look at it up close, it forbids the taking of human life just because a person is angry or there's passion involved or because it's, a, it's an issue of lust or because they have become so angry they become bitter, or if it's a matter of vengeance, or if they're coveting, or because they're violent, or if they do it out of selfishness, or they can't control their spirit, they can't control the anger, or because it happens in the middle of stealing something, or because they're just proud and, you know, they, were, they want to vaunt their pride over this, this force that, that, that they feel, you know, because they feel empowered in themselves in the way they imagine themselves as superior and supreme and they overpower someone just because they think they can. And so the, the ultimate cause when you look at it, wh wh where does this come from? Well, we, we see it's from Scripture that the ultimate cause and the, and the basic source of murder is twofold. One is the devil... It is. It's sin. Yeah, it comes from the devil and it's rebellion and lust. And these two can be equated with two other things, pride and covetousness. The devil, you know, remember he fell because of pride. Remember that? Because of pride. He, was, he became proud because of his beauty, the Bible tells us in Scripture. God speaking of him that way. And it is God that gives insight to what happened with Lucifer in heaven, how he became the devil, Satan. And so you have the devil and lust, those two things. The devil, pride, and lust is the same as covetousness. And I'll go into that in a minute. But looking at the devil, first of all, he's the arch enemy of God and man. He's our enemy. He's not our friend. It's interesting how many people in society today want to befriend him and want to invite him into their home, to their lives, to their seances, to their worship. It's incredible. But it's only, again, another symptom uh, that reveals how far away we have strayed from God and from the things of God as a society. And so the devil, he's, he's the arch enemy. And he seeks to tempt and arouse people to live greedy and selfish lives. 
He wants you to be greedy. He wants you to be selfish and focus on yourself. And Christ, on the other hand, is quite the other. It's to share. It's to sacrifice your life for the good of many, even as he did. And so he, 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 he arouses people. He tempts people to live greedy and selfish and, and, and live lives of lawlessness and violence and murder. And notice in John 8, 44, New Testament, Jesus refers to this. And he says this, John 8, 44. He's speaking to those Pharisees who are actually plotting to kill Jesus. And he's undermining, he's addressing their, their hypocrisy and how that they claim them uh, to be so righteous and holy and that they're keeping the law when the law forbids this kind of conniving and premeditation to kill someone who's innocent. They were prejudging Jesus. And so he's addressing that and he says this in, in John 8, 44. Ye are of your father the devil. And the lusts, you catch that? And the lusts of your father, meaning the devil, ye will do. He, the devil, was a murderer from the beginning. And abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. And when he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. He's the first murderer. And it became that because of his lusts for a higher place. The pride that entered his heart because of his beauty, his lust for power, his lust to supplant God. He said, I will ascend above the throne of the Most High. I will establish my throne on the congregation of the mountain of the sides of the north. I will. And so it's the self-willedness, it's this pride that caused him to fall and, uh, and, and his lusting for, for, for greater gain in power and somehow deceiving himself to supplant God. And so the devil is one of those, 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 uh, those twofold uh, sources of murder. The second is lust, lust itself. It's the unregulated urges of man's heart. It's, this, uh, it's this, this, these, these, these motivations that we get, these urges we get, and we have no restraining force. This is why it's important to live under the leadership and the anointing of the Spirit. Amen. This is why many times we ask, you know, oh, somebody got the Holy Ghost. Does the Holy Ghost have them? You know, that's what it refers to. Are they, are they restrained? Are they yielding to the Spirit? And are they restraining themselves from anger, from carnality, and from doing those things that lead them deeper down the wrong road? And lust is that way. It's unregulated urges of man's heart. And it drives some people to rob and to assault and to kill. And some people allow this lust of their soul, greed, and covetousness to drive them to lawlessness and violence and murder simply because they want what they have. Right? Why do people break into houses? Why do they break and enter? Why do they steal cars? Why do they do carjacking? I want what you got. Give me your money, give me your credit cards, give me, give me your silver, your gold, give me your car, give me whatever you got. I want it. I'm going to take it. And I don't care if I have to kill you for it. And that's the, the, the world we're living in. And it's because of this lust, this covetousness is, is, is an overwhelming force in them that is unrestrained. Amen. And so, so this, this greed and covetousness drives them to this lawlessness and violence and murder. In fact, if you look at it, really, this is also the source, lust and pride. Covetousness and pride is really the root of wars and racism. Wars and racism is rooted in pride and covetousness. And I say pride you know, because I'm talking about pride as an as an un, how should I say, an unfettered, unrestrained, and it is, a, it is an unreasonable sense of pride in one's nationality, in their culture, or their language group, or their religion, or their race, or their color, or even their gender. 
you become so proud. I'm proud to be who I am. And because of that, I'm not only proud of who I am, I'm better than you are. And the Bible addresses that. It's, it's pride, that, that excessive preoccupation of self and one's importance and status and possessions and achievements. That's what pride is defined as. It's the attitude that pride breeds in this unreasonable, exaggerated, and inflated view of self. Wars and racism is rooted in that. This exaggerated, inflated view of self to the point where you're looking down at your nose to somebody else and saying, I'm better than you are. And I want to control you. And proud people who fall victims to that are not only uh, putting themselves before others, but they set themselves apart from others because of that. I'm better than you, so I'm not going to have anything to do with it. This is why we cannot ever have that kind of attitude and this kind of pride in the church. Because pride separates. That's exactly what the devil wants. And that's what happened to him. When pride in his heart, what did God do? Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning. Lightning travels 28,000 miles per, per second. That's how quick it took God to judge him and create hell and separate him from the other angels and separate him from heaven and separate him and isolate him from him, from God. Sin separates, pride separates. And that's what happens to pride people, proud people as well. Proud people elevate themselves above others. And that's an attitude of supremacy. That's where it comes from, any kind of supremacy. And then you couple that with covetousness. This insatiable desire, this inordinate desire for power and wealth or possessions or for another person's possessions. You see where I'm going with that? You say, and all war, yeah, slavery for that. And, and please, now, when I say slavery, you're going to have to really get a bigger mind than just the American experience. Slavery is a worldwide issue and has been for centuries and thousands of years. And to a greater or lesser degree, exercise in those, those generations and cultures and everything else. I can point to you to the Roman Empire where, where slavery, quote-unquote, and servitude was, was mostly uh, in its beginnings and even a lot through the empire days, uh, a condition where, where people could not afford to, 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 to sustain themselves and husbands would abandon their wives and their children. Children would be abandoned on the main highways and the roads where government dignitaries and people who were well-to-do were going by on their carriages. And, and these kids would be sitting out there begging and crying and even adults saying, hire me. I'll be your slave. Just give me a place to live and something to eat. I'll do whatever you want me to do. There were millions that fell in that category during the Roman Empire days. You can read it for yourself. In fact, it's in... Uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, it's in the series with um, uh, our Eastern uh, Oriental heritage. Will Durant, Will Ariel Durant, his wife. Amen. Incredible, incredible uh, insights in, into the past. But, but even today, you know, slavery and so human trafficking, the sex slave trade, still there. Why are they doing that? Why are they kidnapping young girls and putting them into brothels? It's covetousness. It's covetousness. I want to make lots of money. This little child, this innocent little girl, I can put them to work on a brothel and I can make thousands of dollars and I can become rich. I can drive all kinds of beautiful, luxurious cars. I can, I can buy everything that I want. It's these possessions. And I also I have power because I can control these people under my control. Wars and slavery. It's this unsatiable desire, again, to find fulfillment and meaning and purpose in things instead of God. And the Bible says in Colossians 3 that, I, that, that covetousness is idolatry. And 
So it is. Listen to James in chapter 4, verse 1. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lusts? For war in your lust at war in your members. Ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and, and, and war and yet ye have not because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss. That ye may consume it upon your own lust, your carnality. And he's talking to carnal Christians here. And if this was an issue back then, I would submit to you tonight that this is still an issue among us. James in chapter 1 earlier, and I'm kind of going working backwards, but relatively speaking, it is chronologically fitting better. James chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. It says this, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust has conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. So the finished work of devil and lust and pride and covetousness can all bring about the sin of murder. And most of the time, that's the end result. That's the desired end result of Lucifer for sure. But be encouraged. The sin of murder will be punished. It will be punished. Now, I will quickly add that murderers can be forgiven. Now, you and I would not want to extend that kind of mercy to people for some of the heinous crimes that they have committed. But you know, as we even heard Sunday uh, from, from the brother missionary, God is God and he's merciful. And he, he would go to the uttermost to, to save a soul if they truly repent of their sins. Because God is a loving God. He's a merciful God. Not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. The murder will be punished. And in fact, even from the time of Noah, God addressed this issue of murder and the shedding of innocent blood. In Genesis 9, 5, and 6, and it says, and surely, notice this, your blood. He's talking about Noah and the humans, human life. And surely your blood of your lives will I require, I mean, I will hold the person accountable who sheds blood. At the hand of every beast will I require it. Now, you know why even in our country, how it's reflecting biblical law, when a dog or a beast, you know, mauls somebody, uh, and different states have different laws to various degrees, but eventually, if th that animal, if it happens in some states once, but others twice, that animal is destroyed. So, at the hand of every beast will I require it, and at the hand of man, at the hand of every man's brother will I require the life of a man. Whoso sheddeth man's blood by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. God said, if you shed somebody's blood, it's going to be man. It's going to be human government. This is also part of the, you know, this is the beginning of the dispensation of human government, right? The first dispensation, innocence. Second was, of course, uh, conscience. And here we are now in the third dispensation of human government after the flood and Human government has been invested with the authority and the power to execute capital punishment upon people who shed blood of innocent lives. And the New Living Translation says it this way, And I would require the blood of anyone who takes another person's life. If a wild animal kills a person, it must die. And anyone who murders a fellow human must die. If anyone takes a human life, that person's life will, be also, will also be taken by human hands. 
I'm talking about the Word of God. And so we see from the time of Noah and the human government, the Bible consistently teaches that the punishment of a person found guilty of murder is the role of human government. In fact, when you look deeper in, in Romans chapter 13, let me, let me address that real quick. Romans chapter 13, uh, verse 1. I don't think I gave that to you, Sister Kayla. Hallelujah. Chapter 13. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. It's speaking to really people in authority. For there's no power or authority but of God. The powers uh, that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. It's not talking about hell, fire, and damnation. It's talking about condemnation by legal judgment of this world. Uh, verse 3, for rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. That was the intent of God in giving human government authority. It was to, as our founding fathers said in our documents, in order to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men. What right? The right to life and the pursuit of happiness. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The right to life was the first. And it's the same really in Scripture. This is where they got it from. Verse 3, for the rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou, uh, wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the, of the same. Verse 4, for he, the authority, the power, the human government, he is the minister of God to thee for good. The intention of God establishing that was for the good. But if thou do that which is evil, including murder, be afraid. They should be. That's why they shouldn't be let loose. Be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. I mentioned the sword. What is it? What do you do with the sword? You cut people's heads off. <laughs> you kill with a sword. Yes, you can defend yourself with a sword. It's an offensive weapon. God clearly uh, ordained human government to execute those who are guilty of, of sins that uh, warrant, uh, warrant uh, capital punishment. Now, Scripture also teaches that the guilt of the unpunished uh, sin uh, defiles the land. In fact, I'm going to go into Numbers chapter 35. Numbers 35. And I'll come back to that if you have your Bible. Hold, hold your place. Numbers chapter 35. And I'm going to go to the end and I'll come back. Work my way back to the beginning. But uh, Numbers chapter 35, verse, uh, what is it, 31 through 34. I think I have the scriptures noted in your, in your handout as well. So it says, Moreover, you shall take no satisfaction for the life of a murderer. In other words, if he's a murderer, he's guilty. Don't, uh, don't hold back judgment from him just because you feel sorry. Do not feel sorry for the murderer, which is guilty of death, but he shall be surely put to death. And you shall take no satisfaction for him that is fled to the city of his refuge. And we're talking about city of refuge. Is talking about those who have committed manslaughter. And the Bible, we go into the second, differentiates between uh, killing someone as a, as, as a murderous plot versus somebody who accidentally sheds blood. Okay? For those who commit an accidental death, uh, commit a killing, then God established six cities of refuge, as you know, that they could run to because if any relative of that person that was accidentally killed was alive, they could come after that person. Only a relative of that family could come uh, and, and kill that person that accidentally killed the other one. And they would have to run to a city of refuge. There were six of them, as you know, in Israel. And they had to run to that place and they had to stay there until the high priest died. And all of those, of course, were types and shadows uh, for uh, ordained uh, to pointing uh, towards, the Cal towards Calvary and Jesus, uh, our high priest, when he died. And when he died, he paid for all 
the, the penalty of all our sins. And so under the Old Testament, the high priest of the temple that gave all the sacrifices before God and prayed for the people and nation of Israel. When he died, when his office was over, then all these prisoners who were, quote, unquote, they were really not prisoners in the cities of refuge. They had a free hand to do whatever they wanted to do, live, work, do it, but they had to stay within the city limits. If they stepped out, they could die. And you could see an example of that with Amnon and Absalom. Uh, Amnon, uh, you know, uh, uh, well... He did something. <laughs> he killed somebody that he shouldn't have. Uh, and, and he was put into the uh, uh, cities of refuge. He found refuge there. And of course, Absalom called him out, coaxed him out. It's Absalom was, uh, was one of his half-brothers. And uh, he made like, everything's okay. Come on out. It'd be all right. Let's talk. I got something you know, to share with you. And he called him out. And then he took a knife and whoosh, struck him through the heart. Killed him. And nothing was done against him. It was lawful. Why? Because he was the avenger of blood. You see? And that's why David wept and said, Oh, Amnon, my son, Amnon, as a fool thou diest. Why did you come out? Man, there's a sermon there. It's like somebody who has been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ and you come out from under that protective blood and go out and start, you know, messing with with the people out there and the devils, you know, who are avengers of blood, they, you know, they're killers. Like the Bible says, you know, the thief has cometh not but to steal, kill, and to destroy. And the devil's a thief and a liar. And so anyway, the man's thing. So verse 32, and you shall take no satisfaction for him that has fled to the city of his refuge, that he should come again to dwell in the land until the death of the priest. So... You shall not pollute the land wherein you are, for blood it defileth the land. And the land cannot be cleansed of the blood that is shed therein, but by the blood of him that shed it. You see that? This is why God used capital punishment to be important. Somebody's a murderer, get rid of them. Because that is what they deserve. I decree it. If you don't, then that blood, who's shed, who, who, that, that blood that they shed of that innocent person, that blood is defiled in the land until this crime has been addressed, until this evil person has been held accountable. And I ordained human government to be a revenger, my avenger of blood, and set things right. Amen. And if the human government decides to do otherwise, then eventually God will come in and judge that government, that nation, but eventually, the bottom line is, no one gets away with anything because Revelation 21.8 tells us that murderers will also be punished by God with an eternal judgment. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Make no mistake about it. Yes, there's corruption and murder, violence, lawlessness in the land, but God will judge each and every event. Every person will stand before him. And so we see that thou shalt not kill is the sixth commandment. But it is not a blanket commandment against all killing. Let me say that again. The sixth commandment of thou shalt not kill is not a blanket statement against all killing. The word of God clearly says that the taking of life is justified, understandable, and allowed under certain circumstances. And one, obviously, is capital punishment. Genesis 9-6. And mind you that Genesis 9-6 precedes the law of Moses. It's outside of the law of Moses. But it was incorporated into the Ten Commandments. It's capital punishment. And it was also in the Old Testament times, uh, it was allowed uh, to carry out capital uh, punishment in cases of adultery. And both parties had to be stoned to death. Why? To protect the family. And we've already looked at one of the commandments, right? Commandment number five of honor thy father and mother. Why? It was the whole purpose behind this, the protection of the family. 
The family unit is the foundation of society and civilization. And if somebody undermines that by adultery, you're breaking up the family, especially back then. There were no social services. There were no hospitals. There was no government social security and so on. This poor woman and his family will be out of a home and support from, their, from, from her husband because they broke up the home. And all these kids are starving and, and, and who knows, try, imagine this woman trying to survive on her own with kids when a husband who she cheated on or he cheated on, the woman. You see what I'm saying? It is upheaval. And, and back in that society especially, it was important to preserve the unity of the family. And, uh, and God wanted, even to this day, to protect to preserve the family. Why? Because again, marriage is a reflection of the relationship of Jesus Christ and the church in these times. And marriage between Adam and Eve was first established as a foreshadowing institution of the coming relationship between Christ and the church. So when you mess with that, you're messing with topology. You're messing with God's plan. And it's not just a human institution. It's something that foreshadows a spiritual institution, something greater and bigger that involves the entire world. And so capital punishment and then cases of adultery it was to protect and preserve the family and society as a nation as a whole. Leviticus 20.10 tells us that. And then in the defense of ourselves, for example, in Exodus chapter 22, verse 2. In fact, Exodus chapter 22, verse 2 is where many of the states, and for a while even Illinois had that in their, in their explanations, the castle doctrine. How many have ever heard of the castle doctrine? Thank you. All concealed carry, licensed carriers should know what a castle doctrine is. And you should know it as a United States citizen because under the Constitution of the Second Amendment, you have a right, amen, to carry arms. And you have a right to defend yourself. And under uh, the law of the castle, the castle law, uh, if somebody attacks you, you don't have to, to actually back off or run away. You have a right to stand your ground, especially in your own home. If you're in your house and somebody breaks in and they're threatening your life, you have every right to take that person's life because they're invading your privacy, your, your, your house. And that goes back to Exodus chapter 22, verse 2. The defense of ourselves. The Bible justifies killing in those instances. Self-defense. And in times of justified war, and I hate to get into what justified war is, but there is such a thing. Deuteronomy 13, 15 tells us that. 1 Samuel 15, 3, 2 Samuel 10, 11. I'll talk about what those justified wars were. And particularly is that when God says, I ordain you as a nation to, take, to exercise judgment on another nation. I want you to take care of that country because they're not listening to me. They disobeyed me. And then killing, it's not that it was allowed, but it didn't require capital punishment when, when the killing was accidental. And as I mentioned, uh, you, you kill somebody by accident, you throw a rock someplace and lands on somebody's head and it kills them. You, you, you're not a murderer. You're a killer. You committed manslaughter, but not murder. You're not worthy of death, but you're worthy to be set aside and, 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 and limited in, in your liberty until the high priest died, okay, in the city of refuge. And then, of course, uh, some people would take this commandment, thou shalt not kill to extreme, when it comes to animals, they say, well, you know, thou shalt not kill. That means you shouldn't kill animals. You shouldn't eat meat. <clears throat> no. Uh, Genesis 9, 3 deals with that very clearly and says, you know, your animals, now everything that you have is all for food, uh, provided that you let all the blood out of it. Don't eat the blood because the, love, the blood is the source of life. Amen. So it's not speaking about, uh, uh, about not killing animals. It, in fact, uh, it, it, it uh, permits killing animals for food. Amen. So, uh, in the Old Testament, the Old Testament identifies the motive for most murders. And you know what that is? Hate. Hate. Numbers chapter 35, where it is still. I'm going to go to uh, verse 30, uh, excuse me, 30, uh, chapter 35, verse 15. Watch this, and it Again, makes reference here to the cities of refuge. These six cities shall be a refuge for both the children of Israel and for the stranger and for the sojourner among them, that everyone that killeth any person unawares 
may flee thither. In other words, it was not intentional. Verse 16, and if he smite him. Now, what you're seeing in these few verses, we'll look at it. It differentiates between intentionality and premeditation with somebody who's just on a whim or by accident to kill someone. Okay, so listen to the words. And if he smite him with an instrument of iron so that he die, he's a murderer. And the murderer shall be, surely be put to death. And if he smite him with throwing a stone, intentionality, wherewith he may die, that he die. He is a murderer and shall surely be put to death. Verse 18, or if he smite him with a hand weapon of wood, wherewith he may die, and he die, he is a murderer. The murderer shall surely be put to death. The revenger of blood uh, himself shall slay the murderer when he meeteth him, and he shall slay him. And even when, when it comes to the city council and they, they, they set the court and, and they judge him and they, they find him indeed that he's the murderer, then the, the avenger of blood, the family member who suffered that loss was the first one allowed and required to throw that stone to kill him. And when he meaneth, he shall slay him. Verse 20, but if he thrust him of, of hatred, or hurl at him by laying of weight that he die, or in enmity smite him with his hand that he die. He that smote him shall surely be put to death, for he's a murderer. The revenger of blood shall slay the murderer when he meeteth him. Notice it. Notice those, those three things uh, in verse 20, 21. Hatred, lying in wait. That means you're waiting for him to come by at the right moment, right time. You pounce upon him, you kill him. Or enmity, that is hatred, that is rivalrous hatred for the person. And so when they, they, they bring a person who just killed someone and he claims manslaughter, they ask questions and they're listening closely of what he says. Is there any signs of hate there? Is there any motivation for killing that person? What caused him to do it? Was it really an accident? And really, this is what happens many times in a court of law to this day. Amen. And so, uh, verse 22, but if he thrust him suddenly without enmity, without any kind of hate, or have cast upon him anything without a laying of weight, or with any stone wherewith a man die, he just throws a stone, you know, and he, oh my goodness, I hit this guy, oh, you know, and he dies, then it's not capital punishment. And cast upon that he died. For he was not his enemy, neither sought his harm. Then the congregation shall judge between the slayer and the revenger of blood according to these judgments. Amen. The, family, avenger, the revenger of blood, the family member who suffered the loss, he did this. And the, and the, and the accused has to defend himself. And the congregation of the city council there, they, they, they listen. And the elders listen to the case and they decide who's right and who's wrong. Amen. So, you, you, did you note those words? Hate. Did he hate him? Was he angry? Was the attack, uh, did he attack without any provocation or kill without reason? Notice the word enmity in verse 21. In the English language, enmity is the word where we get the word enemy from, E-N. Enmity, enemy. That's the same word that we see used for the first time in Genesis 3.15. What God addresses Satan and he says, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. I will put this deep-seated hatred between you two. That's why the devil wanted to kill yeah, Jesus. This is why evil always is against the children of God, the seed of the righteous, the seed of the Savior versus the seed of Satan. Why is the world so intensely hot, angry against us. It's that enmity that God put in evil against us. And this explains that, that, that deep-seated hatred uh, of the children of the devil against the children of God. Uh, the hatred of evil people against good throughout history. And uh, we see throughout even biblical history and even regular civil history that the evil will always persecute the righteous. Now, Jesus taught that the sixth commandment was more than just a prohibition against the unjustified killing of people. It's more than just prohibition against 
unjustified killing. In the Old Testament, in order to protect human life, God drew the red line at murder, the outward act, murder. But in the New Testament, he moves that red line. He drew that red line further back. And you know where he drew the line? At anger. Like with many other things, uh, you see that the New Testament places a higher demand on us than the old. And this is one of those subject areas. Listen to Jesus when he said in Matthew 5, 21, 22. You have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. But whosoever shall say to his brother, Rasa, shall be in danger uh, of the council. But whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Jesus is not saying here that anger is the same as killing somebody, or it's as bad as, as killing somebody. But Jesus was emphasizing the fact that under the law, his law, his morality judges both of them as wrong. Anger and murder, because it's anger that results in murder. And so the laws of the Old Testament could only deal with the outward act of murder, but Jesus declared that God's morality addressed not only the end result, but also the beginning of murder. And that's why Jesus in the New Testament said, now you see, you've heard it said, thou shalt not kill, but you know what? I say to you, Beware. That person who's angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of, of, of judgment. Well, it's, it's a serious matter. So he said, judge yourselves. Uh, don't let anger get the best of you. And he's saying murder is much deeper than an outward act. It's an inward issue of the heart of anger, bitterness, and enmity that proceeds right from the heart. And that's why he said in Matthew 15, 19, and 20, for out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, Adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile man. Murder begins in a heart with anger. And it quickly degenerates into hatred. Like Cain, anybody? Remember when God turned away from his, his offering? And, and the Bible says that, listen to this. And Cain was very wroth. Very angry. Genesis 4, 5. And that, that anger degenerated into hatred for his brother until one day they were out together in the field. Who knows what they were talking about, but the Bible says Cain rose up against Abel and killed him. Innocent blood. Hebrews 11 also affirms that. And so anger, Jesus addresses anger. Uh, and, and, and then he addresses this, this word, rasa. It's, it's a hard-to-define word, but literally means worthless, Good for nothing. Uh, it's, it's somebody of no value. It's like calling somebody an idiot or a nitwit. Well, worthless. The whole accent of, of this word, rasa, uh, uh, with, with all these words, worthlessness, good for nothing. Amen. It, it's, it's with contempt. It's like, you're good for nothing. You're, you're worthless. It's an attack on one's intelligence. In fact, the, the chief attack point of this and the context is, is attacking intelligence of a person. He's not smart. He's, he's dumb. And then there's the other one Jesus said, if you call somebody a fool and you're attacking a person's character, it's also with contempt. It's having disrespect for them. It's viewing others as beneath you. And, and calling somebody a fool in Bible times was calling him a rebel against God. You know what the Bible said? The fool says in his heart, there's no God. What happens to fools that, that don't believe in God? Well, they're condemned, they're judged, they're going to hell. And Jesus said, when you call somebody a fool, you, and under Jewish context and mindset, you, you're saying they're good for nothing, they're going to hell. You're passing judgment on them when you have no right to pass that kind of a judgment. And what's more, is somebody that Jesus died for. And so be careful what you say about other people. 
So we need to be careful with the words that uh, when we are angry. And I'm quickly coming to a close here. Uh, anger degenerates into harsh words and then escalates into hatred. Solomon said in, in Proverbs 18.21, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Notice, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Because what's in our heart comes out of our mouth. Like, you know what Jesus said? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And if Jesus said in the heart is where, uh, where it comes murders and adulteries, fornications, all those things, we have to be pretty careful of what we say. No wonder Solomon said death and life are in the power of the tongue. So in 1 John, in his epistle, 1 John chapter 3, verse 14 through 16, listen to the great apostle who wrote the gospel of John, the apostle of love. We know, in verse 14, we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. And he that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren because of love. Don't hate your brother. He says, you hate your brother, you're a murderer. Amen. Now, it's not that you are going to be punished and sent to hell as a murderer. What it's saying is you better judge your own self as a murderer because God's attitude towards your attitude is like looking upon that who's a murderer. He, he considers it as a serious offense. You may not think so. You may think justified because of what they did. But God said, uh-uh. I forgive you, forgive you a whole lot of sins. You better extend that same courtesy to your fellow brother or sister. Amen. So we have to be careful in how we judge and how we address others. Uh, we have to be careful because, after all, Jesus died for them. Uh, if we call a brother or sister a fool or worthless or good for nothing or some, by some other name, we forget that Christ died for them. Amen. Stand with me if you would. Remember, Jesus said, one soul is worth more than the whole world. Now, most of us will never struggle with the intentional, hateful decision to murder another person. I don't know, have you ever been tempted by killing somebody? Yeah. <laughs> All right. I think every parent with kids probably has. I know, I'm just, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know they haven't said that. How many said, I'm going to strangle him? Or her. Then they'll say, oh, I could. They say, I could just, whatever. In that moment of frustration. But, you know, that, that's one. Yeah, we do have to watch our words. We have to be careful what comes out of our mouth. But really, none of us really, I, I, I haven't had the struggle of wanting to kill somebody. I hope you haven't either. But uh, it's a struggle with some people. And most will never face this dilemma of having to take another human life to save our own. Thank God I haven't had to. Maybe you have not had that either. But all of us, in reality, fight a daily war of words. We battle with what we should say, what we should type, what we should text what we should post on social media or we shouldn't and remember that your words are like what Solomon said it's it has the power of life and death and whoever you attack has an impact you may feel justified but be careful what you say because we have a choice and the bottom line is that the sixth commandment says, Thou shalt not murder. As thou shalt not murder with our hands. We shall not murder in our heart. And we certainly should not murder with our words. 
Sixth commandment in the 21st century. You know, the wrong words can murder and kill a relationship. Husbands and wives, I speak to you particularly, and fathers and mothers with children. What you say to your, kill, your children can kill their spirit, can hurt them. It can hurt your spouse. Be careful how you speak to them. Remember that the power of life and death is in your tongue. You can either use it to build up or tear down. You used to give life, or you can use it for death. God help us. We just lift your hands. Just ask God to, to help you fulfill the sixth commandment. Never ever to kill. Never be guilty of premeditated, hateful, murderous intentions towards someone. No matter what you have suffered. Hallelujah. God help us to be the kind of Christians you want us to be. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, how he loves you and me.